a video that uh, we tried to share, but uh, technical difficulties. I was out of sync with my, my audio and my picture. Uh, and so just going to really do it live, uh, which is the method that I prefer uh, anyway. Um, there's multiple ways to uh, really give your testimony. Um, there's, uh, there's a lot of great stuff. So if you've never shared your testimony uh, at the back of the gospel primer, if you went through that study or uh, saturate, um, there's some templates there. But, uh, you know, sharing your testimony is one of the most important things that we can do. Uh, as a Christian, um, is sharing our faith with others. It's uh, the the Great Commission um, in Matthew 28. Uh, and so a lot of people find it hard to figure out kind of where to start. So uh, what I was taught a long time ago was to just kind of start at the beginning. So where where were we? Where did we start off? Um, there was a point in time uh, when we walked with God in perfect harmony. There was no sin. There was no COVID-19 or illness. There was no hunger. Uh, and then we sinned. Um, and after we sinned, we separated ourselves from God. We created a gap. And we couldn't be in his presence anymore because he can't be in the presence of sin. And we now had a distorted image of our maker. Uh, as we fast forward through uh, God's narrative and, and God's plan for us, um, uh, there was a, a time of broken community. Um, how, do, how do we get back to God? And that's, um, you know, praise him for his grace and his mercy. Uh, he created a way back to him. Um, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. Uh, he died and rose again on the, on the third day. And because of that, um, we have a way back to our maker. Um, and, and one of the first steps is, is recognizing your need for Christ in your life. Uh, and so at seven years old, uh, I was saved. And uh, shortly after that, I was baptized. I grew up in a Baptist home. Um, I lived uh, within the church, going to Sunday school and participating in numerous church events. And then uh, around the time that I was a junior in high school, um, I started to falter. Um, I moved away from God. Um, I started creating idols in my life that took precedence over him in my life. Um, I started listening to worldly uh, views and ideals, um, and I allowed that to start shaping who I was becoming. Uh, I graduated high school. Shortly after that, I joined the, uh, the Army, uh, specifically in the infantry. Um, I went to war um, about a year and a half, two years into uh, my first enlistment, uh, and I came back and I was, I was a broken man. Um, I would say my second deployment, I came back even more angry. Um, but in between that time, um, when I came back after the first one, um, my wife and I had, had gotten married. And she had pressed upon me um, from, from day one, like, hey, I want to go to church. And I just threw up all the barriers uh, that I could. I don't believe in organized religion. Um, I don't believe in the hypocrisy of the church. I came up with every justification to continue to live um, the, the kind of life that I wanted to live. Um, we know that scripture tells us that the heart is desperately wicked above all things. And my heart sought those things uh, versus Christ. Um, and so, uh, after about a year of God, uh, really placing conviction on my heart, uh, I woke up one day and decided to go to church. And the first sermon that I heard by pastor Paul was he was tired of hearing people talk about, uh, how they don't go to church because they don't believe in unorganized religion, um, or in an organized religion. And, uh, it, that really hit home. I knew that, uh, Christ was specifically speaking to me. And then uh, we started attending regularly. Um, you know, uh, 
Christ really put a lot of men and women in my life um, that helped to break down those, those barriers uh, in my life. Um, as much as we'd like to try to take the credit upon us uh, or for ourselves, you know, uh, Scripture also tells us that we have nothing to boast in. Um, everything that we do is, is because of Christ and, and the power of Him in us. Um, when I came back from Afghanistan, um, I came back very, very angry, a, a deep-seated anger that uh, it took a long time to get over. Um, and this was about the time that we were living in Oklahoma. So I was walking with God up to this point still, um, but I couldn't figure out um, why uh, I was so angry all the time. And, you know, I, it was because I still hadn't fully submitted to him. Um, once I finally submitted to him and I became obedient to his word, uh, things just started falling into place. Um, things started making sense. and I became less and less angry over time. Um, so, you know, since then, um, uh, God has utilized uh, myself and, and Jessica um, for the glory of his kingdom and the advancement of his kingdom. Um, and it's just, uh, it, it was a very humbling journey um, that he placed me on. Um, you know, again, like everything that, uh, everything that we do, um, a lot of times we like to try to take that credit uh, for ourselves. And, you know, I had said in my original video, uh, Paul, um, at one point when he was talking, um, uh, I don't remember who he was talking to, the Church of Corinth, Corinth maybe, um, said basically, um, I worked harder than any other apostle. And, and if you cut that statement off right there, you think about like, Paul, are you really saying this out loud? Like you think about how arrogant of a statement that is. Like I worked harder than any other possible. Like I know what you did to the Christians beforehand. How can you say that? And then he followed that statement with, but it wasn't me. It was Christ in me. Um, and so, you know, from, from day one, Christ has always been the hero uh, of my story. When I thought that I was propping myself up, it wasn't me. It was Christ. Um, when I turned away from him, he still walked with me, um, despite, um, you know, uh, my sin and my continuous, uh, rebellion. Um, but because of his love and his mercy, um, he brought me back into the, into the fold. And so, uh, in short, you know, that's my uh, testimony. Um, I would be more than happy to talk a little bit more at length with anybody else, um, about it, but that's my testimony. Awesome. <clears throat> Thank you, Chris. Um, like Chris said, just sharing your testimony or your story of what God has done in your life is super important uh, <clears throat> for us to be able to do. And, and we believe it's important for us as a family to know each other's stories. So our hope is that we'll be able to, over the coming weeks, have um, different people sharing their stories, uh, hopefully at least, you know, once a week. Um, and we're going to be talking about uh, kind of the significance of that and um, how to do that this morning. Yeah, and the uh, this morning, you know, as Paul opened us up in prayer, he mentioned, uh, you know, people are looking for hope and that we need to be uh, able to share that hope. And Chris shared his story of, of hope and what God has done in his life. And and I guess I, I want to start by asking the question, uh, what gives you hope? 
you know, when you're coping with the death of a loved one or dealing with a job layoff or you're stuck in upstate New York or you've had to shutter the doors, uh, the windows of your business, what gives you hope? Where do you put your hope? Where does your hope come from? And uh, I, I think that for me, one of the uh, most powerful sections of the Bible when it comes to reminding us of the hope that we have as, uh, as God's children is probably the book of Psalms. Um, I don't know about you, David, but for me, it's like there's so much in there that's just like this, this turmoil that David is just really, really big and sharing um, throughout the Psalms. Absolutely. Um, and in Psalm 62, verses 5 through 8, uh, is the first passage I want us to go to. And I'm going to try to copy that and paste that in to your chat so you can read along with me. Um, Psalm 62, verses 5 through 8 says, Rest in God alone. My soul, for my hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold, and I will not be shaken. Uh, my salvation and glory depend on God, my strong rock. My refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people, and pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. And I think about that um, that passage, it talks about where does my hope come from? And then over and over, it's like David's reminding himself, yeah, my hope comes from God. My hope comes from God. When my times are uncertain, God is the rock. He's the one who is stable in the midst of instability. When I think about the struggles of being uh, persecuted by enemies, which David was struggling with during these times, you know, God is his refuge and the place that he can go. Um, when you think about, um, your position in society and how things are changing all the time. You know, it, your glory depends upon God. He's the one that lifts people up and that, that brings people down. Uh, and this idea of trusting him in all times, and that's all times, um, not just the good times, not just when things are going the way that we want, but trusting him in all times. Um, and I think that to, to me, these verses speak a lot about the times that we're in right now, because our, our world is just, it's full of fear. Um, just, there's not a lot of hope these days. When you listen to the media, when you watch TV, um, when you're catching the news or grabbing a soundbite off the internet, um, people are afraid. Uh, people are um, in panic mode. And I think it's because so many people have ignored God and placed their hope in science and in medicine and in knowledge and in our own, in our own hands. Um, we've made the chief end of things living a long, healthy life on this earth with as much pleasure and as little pain as possible. And, and none of those <laughs> things are evil or wrong. It's not wrong to want to be free from pain, and it's not evil to, uh, to, to seek after certain pleasures. But or to study science or medicine. And, or, and or to study science or medicine, <clears throat> right. Right, yes. <clears throat> Thank you, David. Um, you know, the, the fact is that they're gifts from God, right? So um, they're not what we should be turning to for our hope. Um, anything other than God in that role is an idol. And we know that all of life exists to declare the supremacy of God, that, that our lives are not about our own pleasure. Uh, we live for a bigger mission. We live with a greater purpose. We live for a higher calling and we live with a tremendous hope because we have faith in God who made us, the one who gave his life for us 
and that indwells us. And so when it comes to this idea of hope, you have to realize that we have hope even in the midst of these times. And, and so just there's a little pause before we go any further, because I know that our notes continue here, David, but I want to kind of reflect for a second here. Uh, I just want to challenge you in this way. What have you been posting online? Have you been posting messages of hope or messages of fear and of panic and of dismay and of frustration and of, frust and, and of anger? Or have you been calling, basically posting messages like Psalm 62? You know, God is my refuge. God is my strength. God will get us through this. Um, and, and that can sometimes just be an indicator of, of how you're wrestling with this concept as well. Mike already said that we don't, uh, we don't actually keep up on social media. So he's not trying to call out anyone specifically. I don't think so. Uh, as we really don't know. I know I don't know what anyone has been posting. So it's a real question. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's legit. Yeah. But we have to be ready to share that hope, right, David? I mean, really. Yeah, and I, I do think that this is, especially during this time, um, it's kind of a, a unique, unprecedented um, time where we have just so many opportunities to to share hope. Um, and uh, we, we want we want you to be ready for that. And we see that in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 15 through 16. Uh, Mike, if you want to paste that one in there. It says, Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then, if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Again, that's pointing people to Christ through your life, not building yourself up for having such a great reputation. Uh, but we should, we should always be ready to share the hope, to explain why we have hope, why we're hopeful people. So how do we do that? Um, and like I already said, uh, one of the, the most powerful ways to share hope is just to share your story or your, your testimony, your story of grace, the, the grace of God in your life. Um, so <laughs> in one sense, the, the word testimony, um, we really only use that in kind of church circles and in uh, like a legal sense uh, when you're talking about giving testimonies on trial. So it can sound kind of weird to be talking about giving a testimony. It kind of sounds like I'm on trial. So it can be a little bit off-putting. Um, <laughs> uh, a lot of times if I'm sharing about my story, I don't want to feel like I'm being judged or, or something. I might um, think that they, they are judging me in my own mind. Um, but it is a good word in that it reminds us that it's, it's not really us that's on trial. We're not presenting a testimony about ourselves ultimately. We're giving witness to God and what he's done in our life. So in that sense, it's a really fitting word because people are often judging God themselves and coming to conclusions about God. And we can give ourselves an eyewitness account of what he's done in our lives. Yeah. And we're going to, um, let me change the video. Uh, we're going to look at another verse, set of verses that talks about that idea of somebody being on trial 
for their beliefs and giving a testimony. Um, and it's going to be found in the book of John chapter nine. And I'm, I'm going to post just the verse reference. We really want you to look this one up. Um, I'm assuming that you still have your Bibles in your houses or that you have an app on your phone or something like that that you can look at. Um, I mean, cause I know all of you have been reading your Bible, um, all the time because you, you know, you have, you've had time. So, uh, John chapter nine verses 13 through 27, um, is a story of a man born blind that Jesus healed. And this is just a great, as David mentioned, we don't like the word testimony sometimes. Sometimes we do and sometimes we don't, but it, it kind of is fitting and kind of isn't. This is actually like one of those legitimate testimony uh, scenarios because this person was literally like put on trial, it seems, for what God did in his life. So uh, John chapter 9, verses 13 through 27. And David, do you want to read that for us? I would love to. <clears throat> so again, uh, starting in verse 13. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees. This is after Jesus had had healed him because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, he put the mud over my eyes and then I washed it away. I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man Jesus is not from God for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see, so they called in his parents. They asked them, is this your son? Was he born blind? And if so, how can he now see? His parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. And that's why they said, he's old enough. Ask him. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind, and now I can see. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once. Didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? <laughs> uh, I love that. <laughs> There's just so much in this passage. Um, so before we dive into the things that we noticed about this particular testimony, um, why don't we give you guys a chance uh, in the Zoom chat group? Uh, you should see a little chat bubble or the a button that says you can click to chat. What do you notice about this story that you think is is significant and and just and why? So just kind of post in some uh, some of your thoughts real quickly. Some of you is going to take a second for you to get there and start typing. So what did you, oh, I guess while we're waiting for them to type, the, the Pharisees being skeptical of Jesus' intentions. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so that whole idea that Jesus is healing on the Sabbath and they're being more concerned about 
the fact that he's healing on the Sabbath than that he's healed a blind person who was born blind. So this is like the, you know, which was more significant following their rules that they've adopted to the Sabbath, which is very significant. Don't get me wrong. Following those rules was very much a part of the Jewish culture. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the Pharisees were, as Jay points out, uh, they were blind with their own arrogance. So mm. yeah, it's a great way to put it. Yeah, that's definitely a big deal. And I think the, the Pharisees at this point, obviously, were already kind of annoyed with Jesus. They were already, you know, they put out this announcement that anyone that said that he was the Messiah would be expelled. So they, they're not a fan of this guy, Jesus. Um, so they're looking for any excuse to get him in trouble. And it ends up with them kind of distorting their understanding of the law in order to try to get their own way. And we see that a lot in the way the Pharisees acted. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, the Parkers chimed in. Yeah, the parents fear of being punished. <laughs> it's like, he's old enough. Listen to him. We don't want to say anything because we don't want to be kicked out of the synagogue. Yeah. So rather than acknowledging the fact that their son, who was born blind, and they've been carrying that burden their whole life, can now see, aside from, you know, rather than giving God the glory for that, they're more like, oh, talk to him. We don't want to get, we don't want to get in trouble. Besides the fact what? they're worried about getting in trouble, so let the let their kid get in trouble instead. Let their son get in trouble. Right. It's like I'm not real impressed with these parents. <laughs> Reminds me of a lot of Disney parents I've watched. Uh, but that's a whole separate topic. Yeah. All right. Anything else you guys noticed? When when the religious leaders asked the blind man who is Jesus? Who does he think Jesus is? What was his response? Anybody catch that? A prophet. Yeah, a prophet. Um, the blind man had mud put on his eyes and was told to go wash, but the blind man had not had a chance to sit at Jesus' feet and to listen to all of his teachings and to to really even know who he was. And they said, who, who, who is he? I think he, I think he must be a prophet was the response. And it's like, I, I think he's a prophet. I mean, who else could do this kind of stuff? But he really truly didn't even know a lot about Jesus at that point. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's pretty significant too. I think it's interesting how the Pharisees were really interested in how it happened. Not so much, um, they, they knew who it was. They, they knew who Jesus was. Um, They're trying to catch him in the, the how because they wanted it to be a uh, violation of the Sabbath. Um, whereas Jesus, he didn't make a big show of it. And he did use mud and uh, spit to, uh, to heal this man. Um, and I think that's that shows emphasis on the who and the what more so than the how, uh, which I think is significant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the religious leaders were trying, were, were judging Jesus. And I think it's interesting as we think about this idea of sharing God's story and sharing what God has done in our lives, the blind man did not try to defend Jesus. He, I mean, he just met Jesus. He didn't even really get to see him. So how could he defend his teachings? How could he speak of his character? Um, what he did share 
was his grace story. The story of the way God showed up and poured out grace into his life and changed him. And that's what he shared. And you can't um, argue with that. Like this, no, you, you just can't said argue with that. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and, and the religious leaders never did question that. They're like, oh, we're just going to, well, we're going to ask a different question. How did he do it? Um, you know, he did it on the Sabbath. Is, is this man a sinner? I mean, they're, they're not even asking a, about the cred- credibility of the story. They did question it, really... but they couldn't deny it. You know, they, they brought in the parents because they're like, this can't, this can't be true. But then, okay, it is true. It happened. Uh, but they couldn't deny that it happened. Yeah, that's right. So I think that that's one thing we should notice about our testimony is when we share what God has done in our lives and, and how God has changed us and, and what, how God has revealed his grace and spoken his grace and love into our lives. Um, people can't argue that. It, it, they can try to argue about the existence of God and they can try to argue about, you know, the accuracy of the Bible and people will try to debate those things. Uh, they'll ask questions like, how can a good God allow bad things to happen? And they'll do all these things. But when you just share, I, I don't know all the answers, but I do know this. This is what God has done in my life. I mean, there's no argument for that. And that's one of the reasons that our testimony is such a powerful um, witness to God and his grace. Um, Mm. I think that's an important thing to notice there. Um, But there's another more uh, famous and even infamous character in the New Testament, I think, that uh, is a great example of uh, a testimony, a man with a testimony who got to share. And it's different than the blind person. Um, it's found in Acts chapter 9. So I'm going to encourage you to turn to Acts, the book of Acts chapter 9, um, because it's a pretty long passage as well. Acts chapter 9. A lot of you probably know, uh, even before turning there, where, where this is going. This is, uh, like Mike said, a famous testimony. And, and uh, Chris even brought up the this character in his um in his testimony so nine and it's we're going to start at the very beginning verse one um so this is focusing in on a very famous man uh, by the name of saul or paul Um, saul is his hebrew name paul is the greek version of that name Uh, but this passage uh, details how and when Saul met Jesus and how it changed his life. Um, So would you like me to read that one, Mike? Yeah, go ahead. You're muted, so I might as well. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. All right, let's read. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. The phrase just referring to Jesus' followers. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, 
I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now, get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there, blind, for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, Go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he's authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you may regain, so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. Hmm. Yeah, it doesn't get much more powerful of a testimony than that, or <laughs> um, unique of a testimony than that. Um, and just a short while after his encounter with Jesus, Saul started preaching about him. And I think that's one of the, the first things we can learn from this passage, from Saul's example, is that it's really never too early in your faith to start sharing that with others. And Paul, you know, Paul was very educated um, in the law. He was, he was an elite, um, he had an elite knowledge of scriptures of the Old Testament. Um, so he did stick around and, and refute the, the other religious leaders and experts um, and teach about how Jesus really was the Messiah and how he fulfilled Old Testament prophecies. And <laughs> ultimately, they almost got him killed and they had to move him somewhere else. Um, but that you don't have to be an expert um, in everything. Like we talked about the blind man, he barely even knew who, who healed him, but he could still um, share his testimony and what he did know. Yeah, and, and Paul, Saul's testimony is obviously a lot different than the blind man's testimony. Um, I think one of the things that David pointed out that's just so significant um, that we had never really made the connection of before was that the blind man was blind and Jesus gave him sight so that he believed Saul was had sight and God had to make him blind so that he would believe. And it's like, it's kind of interesting the way those two testimonies are the opposite in that way. And I, that's like, when David told me that, my like, just exploded. Yeah. Like, wow, that's so cool to see that. Um, it was what are some just others? this morning. <laughs> it was this morning. Yeah. 
Um, what are some other significant things that you notice about Saul's testimony? And uh, let's field some of those questions as well. Or some statements that you have. We're patient. Mike just walked away, so I guess we're just waiting here until uh, get some <laughs> input. Anybody? He was severely humbled. Yeah, definitely. And that's one of the contrasts with the blind man. He was pretty much as humble as it gets. And he knew he was blind. And Paul, in a sense, was was blind to the truth of who Jesus was, but didn't know it. He had an arrogance that blinded him from the truth and had to become physically blind to, to realize that. John 9, 39, Jesus says that he came so that the blind would see and that those who see would become blind. Oh, that's that's good. Yeah. Saul was on a mission that could be compared to the hate that even Hitler had against God's people, but God still transformed him. Yeah. Yeah. Shows that even the hardest and most bitter of hearts can be transformed by God. Good stuff. Keep it coming. What else? Another example of how what happened to him couldn't be argued, even though people probably doubted his intentions at first, they couldn't argue with what had happened. Yeah. And there were people around him who even heard the voice. And then even if you didn't believe Paul's story about how it happened, there's no denying what he was doing before and what he's now uh, going to do with his life. God calls us to commitment, not comfort. Ananias had lay hands on a known persecutor. Had to be, yeah, it would have been scary for him. Made him question his Lord. Yeah. Yeah, he, he questioned but still obeyed, which is cool. Must have been quite an incredible experience in order for such a Jesus hater to become a disciple. Oh, I know. I've, I've thought about that a lot, how he he was a religious guy. He thought he was pleasing God by destroying Christians. Like this was his mission because he thought he was upholding um, the holiness and glory of God. And now all of a sudden his whole mind, his whole world would have been just turned upside down by this realization that Jesus was the Messiah. And I can't, I can just imagine him kind of going back and pouring over Old Testament scripture and making the connections to what he knew about Jesus and how that applied to it or connected to the Old Testament um, would have just been totally mind-blowing as a Hebrew scholar. God used Ananias in Saul's testimony even though he was scared. Yeah. 
think I, I can't imagine what it would have been like to be um, Saul at that time uh, to to think about having killed off a bunch of Jesus followers and then to have Jesus say, um, you know, what you've been doing is wrong and now you're going to follow me. Um, the, I mean, how do you how do you reconcile that now? The zeal that you had to follow God in the wrong way, and now all of a sudden you realize that you've taken innocent lives um, for what you thought was right. And and that, I think mm -hmm. that that I don't know how Saul. If I was Saul, I don't know how I would have comprehended that uh, or or been able to to reconcile that in my in my brain. Um, but See, Saul may have feared. Yes. Mm. Yeah, he didn't know that he was going to regain his sight when he continued on down the road. He might have been thinking, oh, man, you know, like Mike was just saying, I've killed innocent people. This is my judgment now. I'm going to be blind the rest of my life. Um, but then to be shown that abundance of grace, yeah, really revealing a lot of God's character in that, I think. Very cool. Yeah, I think the other thing that's pretty cool, if you, if you want to geek out on just a little side note, um, is how many days Saul was blind. I think it's significant that Saul was blind for three days. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that, that that's a very significant point that's brought out there. Yeah, we could spend the rest of the time talking about significance of numbers so, <laughs> so right um so so this is this is paul and this is his story and obviously uh you've got uh god doing a work in his life he goes and he sits under some of the of the church leaders um in uh jerusalem he he learns he shares the scriptures he tries to uh go up against the religious leaders to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. Eventually he goes on some missionary journeys and he travels around telling people about Jesus. Uh, in Acts chapter 22, flip there, Acts chapter 22, Paul gets permission from the Roman commander Claudius uh, Lysias to address an angry mob. Um, it's an angry mob in Jerusalem and they want to arrest and kill Paul for what he's teaching. And um, basically this Roman commander is trying to protect Paul and um, and uh, and Paul says, "Hey, can I have permission to uh, to speak to them?" And the commander says, "Sure, you can speak." So, David, I'll read this one, and then you can talk about it a little bit afterwards. Okay. Um, so Paul says, "You know, brothers and esteemed fathers," Paul says, "Listen to me as I offer my defense." And when they heard him speaking in their own language, the, the silence was even greater. And then Paul said, I am a Jew. I'm born in Tarsus, a city in Sicilia. And I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. And as a student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you today. And I persecuted the followers of the way pounding some of them to death, arresting both men and women and throwing them in prison. The high priests and the whole council of elders can testify that this is so, for I, release, I receive letters from them 
to our Jewish brothers in Damascus, authorizing me to bring the followers of the way there um, from there to Jerusalem in chains to be punished. And as I was on the road approaching Damascus about noon, a very bright light from heaven suddenly shone down around me. And I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the Nazarene, the one you are persecuting. And the people with me, they saw the light, but didn't understand the voice speaking to me. I asked, what, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up and go into Damascus. And there you will be told everything you are to do. I was blinded by the intense light and had to be led by hand to Damascus by my companions. And a man named Ananias lived there. He was a godly man, deeply devoted to the law and well regarded by all the Jews of Damascus. He came and stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And that very moment I could see him. Then he told me, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear him speak. For you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. Yeah, so this is Paul bearing witness, literally giving testimony to what he had seen, what happened uh, to him. And there's a whole lot here that we could unpack, um, but he kind of follows a basic rhythm or an outline that I think we can learn a lot from. Obviously, our stories are all going to be very different from Paul's, Saul's story, uh, but we can still learn from the way he approached it and how, how he delivered it. So he started off with who he was and what he used to do, what he used to spend his time doing, um, and that he thought he was doing the right thing. It was considered a good thing, even though he wasn't really honoring God. And then how God intervened and, and revealed himself to Paul. And then finally how Paul surrendered to God's will and his work and what his new life and his new mission was. And that's just, that's a great outline for us to use when we're sharing God's story. Who, so starting with who we were and what we did before we knew God. And you don't want to glamorize that or make it, you know, sound, you don't want to make it glamorize it. Um, and then talking about how God's work in us uh, in reconciling us to him how he did that and then who we are now and the hope that we have uh, again and just the purpose that we have in life now that we've been reborn in him. Yeah. And, and I think that that's a, a great outline or um, just a basic structure for us to, to think through and to prioritize the way that we share. Um, you know, Chris talked about uh, when he shared his testimony, he talked about, um, the condition of mankind from the beginning. You might not always get a chance to share that with everybody, or it might not always be appropriate to start with uh, the fact that we're fallen. You, your conversation may be a little bit lighter than that at certain times. Sometimes it may warrant bringing people into that very beginning. Um, wherever it is, though, to be able to say, listen, before God, I did this. And in Paul's case, it was even, I did good things, what I thought were good things for God. Um, because a lot of people will say, hey, I've, you know, I live a good life. I, I, I'm a moral person. I, I help other people. Um, so talking about who, where we were before God, 
Um, but then how God revealed himself to us and how God changed us. Um, and then how we now live for something different. Even if what we had, even if the way we were living before was good, um, it wasn't God's goodness. It wasn't, it wasn't, uh, reflecting and honoring God. Um, so I think that one of the things that I think is cool is that Paul didn't, uh, glamorize his past. Um, he didn't get, and I've heard a lot of testimonies where people have shared, you know, how bad they were before God got a hold of them. And, uh, you know, like Paul could have said, about how bad they were. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. And, and when we brag about how bad we were, um, we're really not, we're really trying to, in a way it's almost a form of, it can be, it can become almost a form of pride, uh, in, in ourselves and, and in what we did. Uh, I, I think it's more significant that we boast about God and what God has done. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that again, he becomes the hero and the focal point. Um, so, um, you know, God's, God's work in reconciling us to him is the most important thing to share because that's the mission that we've been talking about. That's the mission of God. He, his mission was to reconcile us to him. And then, um, we get to join him on that mission of reconciliation. So when we share our testimony, being able to share how we've been reconciled or what God has done to, to draw us to him is very important because it gives us an opportunity to show what, what God's heart and what God's mission really is. Um, now, by the end of his speech, by the way, Paul, uh, the mob wants to kill him because of the claims he made about Jesus. There's never a question about his testimony. They never doubt his encounter with God. They challenge his theology of whether Jesus is the Messiah or not, but they cannot and they do not refute his testimony of his experience of what happened on the road of, of God speaking to him. That was never even brought up. And I think that's significant too. Don't you, David? Mm, Definitely. Yeah. Um, And they, they want to kill him because of that, because of who he's claiming Jesus is. Um, And eventually we get to, um, in Acts 26, we find Paul being put on trial, and here he's in front of Herod, Herod Agrippa II, um, and he's giving his defense, this time literally in a, a court type of, of scenario to give his, his testimony. And he starts again with his conversion experience, um, so very similar for, as to Acts 9, uh, or, or to the... Um, Acts 22, um, the conversion Mm -hmm. experience that he experienced in Acts 9. It says, Then Agrippa said to Paul, You may speak in your defense. So Paul, gesturing with his hand, started his defense. That's a funny detail. Gesturing with his hand, he started his defense. I am fortunate, King Agrippa, that you are the one hearing my defense today against all these accusations made by the Jewish leaders. For I know that you are an expert on all Jewish customs and controversies. Now, please listen to me patiently. As the Jewish leaders are well aware, I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my own people and in Jerusalem. If they would admit it, they know that I've been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of our religion. Now, I am on trial because of my hope in the fulfillment of God's promise made to our ancestors. In fact, that is why the 12 tribes of Israel zealously worship God night and day, and they, should, and they share the same hope I have. Yet, your majesty, they accuse me for having this hope. Why does it seem incredible to any of you that God can raise the dead? 
I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus, the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priests, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. And I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. One day, I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priests. About noon, your majesty, as I was on the road, a light from heaven brighter than the sun shone down on me and my companions. We all fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, which explains why the other people couldn't understand it, by the way. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. Who are you, Lord? I asked. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now, get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. Tell people that you have seen me and tell them what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. And so, King Agrippa, I obeyed that vision from heaven. I preached first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that all must repent of their sins and turn to God, and prove they have changed by the good things they do. Some Jews arrested me in the temple for preaching this, and they tried to kill me. But God has protected me right up to this present time, so I can testify to everyone, from the least to the greatest. I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead, and in this way to announce God's light to the Jews and Gentiles alike. So a bit more detailed uh, this time, someone, because he's talking to someone who really doesn't have much background as to who Saul was or why he was there. Um, but you notice he didn't try to create some uh, glamorous story and he didn't try to change anything. Um, he was honest about who he was and who, what he was doing. He just shared, uh, whenever he had the opportunity, the work of God in changing him. And in this passage, he even specifically talked about that hope that he had and that Israel had. Yeah, and the testimony of these two men is is really cool because and these are just two examples that we pulled out. There's there's so many others. We had, we had a whole other page of passages that we could have looked at that where people shared testimonies of, of their encounters with God um, and with Jesus. Um, the blind man had no formal education that we know of. No position of standing as he was a beggar, as a poor, as a blind person. Uh, he was poor. He was an outcast. Um, and yet he had a story of grace, of the grace of God in his life. Um, Saul is the opposite of that. He was educated. He was a citizen of Rome. He was active in a synagogue. Uh, he was obviously powerful because he had the authority to arrest people and to take them back to be persecuted and even to have people killed. Um, and he also had a story to tell of the grace of God in his life. And I think that that's important for us to note that it doesn't matter your background. You don't need a flashy story. Uh, we don't have to try to persuade people with Disney-esque stories of what God has done and try to make it something huge. 
every man, woman, or child that has encountered the living God and received forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus has a story, a tremendous story, a rescue story. And, and that story tells, needs to tell about God. And everybody has that story. And I, I know people are sometimes intimidated, like, I don't have a good story. I don't have, you know, I, I, I was a good child. I didn't get into all sorts of trouble. And so I don't have this great story of how God saved me from all these bad things. Well, but God saved you. And that's the important part of the story. Um, you could have been a, a religious person most of your life, like Paul was. God saved him. Um, you could have been just totally aloof from who Jesus was, and, and God just revealed himself to you one day. Um, it's not about your history. It's about God's grace. And and so realize that your your background, your education, your experiences, that is not what the story is ultimately about. And therefore, everybody um, has has a story. Um, so I, I think that that's something we need to remember. Definitely. So I want to talk about just a couple, um, kind of practical tips or advice, I guess, when it comes to sharing your story. Um, so that's one of them is it doesn't matter what, what your background is, um, or what your story is. Um, and also it doesn't have to include your entire life story every single time. Um, and right. it's depending on who you're talking to, the context you're in, so many different factors will, uh, is, are going to influence how you tell your story, even the specific words or phrases that you use. So if I'm getting to know someone who I know is a Christian, at some point I might ask them to, to share their story. I'll probably share mine at some point. And if I know that they've been around the church a while, I might use certain churchy or Christianese words and phrases that are kind of like just shortcuts to getting it really broad and complex topics. So I, I came up with an example, and this is just an exaggerated example. I wouldn't actually say this in a normal conversation, but if I were to say something like, Christ, I'm glad you wouldn't say this in a normal conversation. No, I, it's just, I read this and I'm like, would you really say that? No, so. It's hyperbole for the sake of explanation or example. Uh, so it's just two sentences. Christ's redemptive work has drawn me to him through an ongoing process of sanctification, which he began at a very early age in my life, as I made a profession of faith when I was five, was baptized when I was eight, and truly dedicated my life to Christ when I was ten. Since then, I've gone through some seasons of apathy, though not total apostasy, but God in his mercy has always been faithful to admonish, redeem, and sharpen me through scripture and prayer, especially in the context of fellowship with the saints and discipleship of elders. So Dude, that's like 30 <laughs> seconds. That's incredible. Yeah. And it's like my whole life of faith summed up into two long sentences. They're kind of run on Paul-like sentences. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it, it's not really, that's not very personal. I would want to expand on some things in a normal conversation. But just for the sake of example, I could share those I could say those exact sentences to many of you listening and watching. And I'm pretty sure you could... Um, you know, know what I'm talking about. And I could even probably say those uh, sentences to probably any pastor um, in our association, even without knowing them. And I know they would track it with what I'm saying and know exactly what I mean by those words and those phrases. But if I'm talking to someone who's not familiar with words like sanctification and redemption and apostasy, elders, uh, all those words, they're probably going to either just write me off as some weirdo or they're going to pretend, uh, <laughs> yeah, I made that up when I was 10. No, not really. Uh, 
they're going to pretend like they know what I'm talking about, um, but not really benefit from it or have learned anything about what God has done for me. Um, so for some people, I, I would want to expand on things like what it means to make a profession of faith or what it meant for me to get baptized um, or what it meant for me to have dedicated my life to Christ. So all of this is to say uh, it's, it's helpful to know who you're talking to. And I think it's okay to tell your story a little bit differently uh, when you're talking to, say, your church family uh, versus a neighbor or a coworker who's never been a part of any church. Uh, and that's also why it's just good to practice talking about what God is, has done and is doing in your life to all kinds of people. And it doesn't, again, always have to be your whole life story. It can be a simple way in which God has, has blessed you this week. Um, and that in itself is still a testimony, even if it, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a testimony. Yeah. Yeah, it's a testimony. <laughs> well, and I think that even in, even in the, the examples of Saul, of Paul and the blind man, you know, we see that, um, in one, it's a simple testimony of, I was blind and now I see. And in the others, it was, I was doing this and God changed my life. And so your context is going to determine how much you get to share. But the important thing is being faithful to share about what God has done. That's really what a testimony is about. Um, you know, some other examples in John chapter four, you have a Samaritan woman who tells her whole village about Jesus and said, hey, he, he, he knows everything about me. Um, you know, well, there's a testimony. I, God knows everything about me. And, and what does that mean to you? Um, in John chapter one, um, when Jesus, uh, found Philip and called him to follow him, Philip went, um, and, and found some more people and said, Hey, you know, you got to come meet this guy. got to come meet Jesus. Uh, in Luke chapter five, uh, there was a tax collector named Levi and, and Jesus says, follow me. And Levi invites all of his friends over to a party to, to meet Jesus. In all of these cases, that's these people Matthew. were... What's that? And that's Matthew, who wrote the, Matthew, the gospel Levi. according to Matthew. So <laughs> that's where his story went. Right. Um, so yeah, all these are testimonies of, of God's uh, invading our, our lives with the um, goal of drawing us back to him. And, and as Chris shared in his testimony, which I appreciate in the beginning of his testimony, he mentioned that, you know, we used to walk with God completely without sin and, and that got broken and it got in his grace. And, and because of his mercy sent his son, Jesus to die for us. So that could be restored. So anytime we can share about the way that our relationship with God has been restored or built or strengthened, um, where God has revealed himself in some new way to us or just reminded us of how awesome he is. Anytime we can share that, it's a testimony to, the, to God, and it's part of reflecting him and being image bearers uh, to him. Um, have a feeling that in the days to come, um, that we are going to get more opportunities to share our grace stories, to share God's work in our lives with more and more people. Um, people that are afraid need to understand that God is in control and they need to see that we can be concerned, but we don't have to fear because we know that all things are in his hands. Um, people who are um, uncertain about their future need to see and hear from us that we truly live and believe 
that God is in control and that there is nothing outside of his hands. Whether that means we go through a, se a season of famine like the Israelites did or whether we are quickly restored back to where we were, uh, our hope is in God, not in our jobs or our income or our money. Um, and, and these testimonies are going to be so important in the months that follow, um, the, the, even starting this week, uh, because our culture is not able to stand on the foundations that they have for the past however many years of having stable jobs, stable societies, and knowing what's coming next. Um, and, and that really opens up some great opportunities to remind people of, of just the greatness of God and that that's what life is really about, uh, is connecting with that great God, not about all the stuff that's temporary around us. And so we really want to encourage you to think through your gray story um, and, and how you would share that story. Um, and I just want to, we have a quick little poll for you, I believe, David, um, just to find yes. out where you are. Um, hopefully we'll get a chance to do this poll again uh, in a couple weeks and see if your numbers change. But uh, David's going to pop a poll up on your screen. And uh, when it pops up there, just go ahead and vote real quickly. Yeah, maybe. We'll see if this works. We've been trying to get it to so work. Is, um, how often do you share your testimony? Is that the? Yes. Cool. Okay. Now, hopefully you should all have a poll on your screen now. If you don't see it, I can't really help pop you. Pop in the chat. <laughs> yeah. If you don't see it, pop in the chat and just tell us it didn't work and we won't waste yeah. any time right here. Otherwise, vote. Okay. Yeah, you can just Not tell us in the <laughs> nope, there you go. All right, so let's see. I guess we can just ask, it won't be anonymous, but we can ask you to share in the chat. Um, I just tried to launch poll and did that work? Nope. Huh. So it worked when we tested it earlier from a phone, um, but it might only work on phones for some reason. All right, so here's, so here's our question to you then, and you can answer uh, A, B, or C. Um, some of you, that means you're automatically gonna go to numbers one, two, and three, because that's just your personality and we expect that. Um, so how often do you share your testimony? And so uh, A is never, I never share my testimony. Uh, B is I have a few times. And C is I do it all the time. Uh, so if you're willing to chime in and, and, and share, everybody's going to see that it's you. Um, that's okay. But if, that's why we tried to do the poll so you could be a little bit more anonymous. But if you're willing to share, um, how often do you share your testimony? A, never. B, a few times. Or three, I do it all the time. Cool, love seeing them rolling. Yeah, lots of Bs, a few As. I, I, I was expecting most people to put themselves in the, the B category.
So I'm going to go back to, as we wrap up our time, I want to go back to a verse um, that we started out with, which is 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16, and use this as our encouragement, and then we'll pray. Um, in 1 Peter 3, 15, it says that, that we're to worship Christ as Lord in our lives. In other words, we're to make sure that, that, that Jesus is the, the person who is in control of our lives, that we're following his lead and submitting to his leadership in our lives. And as we do that, if someone asks about the hope that we have as a believer, that we should always be ready to explain it, but to do it in a gentle and respectful way, um, keeping your conscience clear. And then if people speak evil against you or whatever, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you've lived because you belong to Christ. Um, there is in this verse an expectation that as you're living with Christ as your Lord, that you and I will be asked for the hope, the reason for the hope that we have. And in tumultuous times, in, in uncertain times, um, people should see the hope that we have very evidently um, and in quite a contrast to what we see in just the panic of, of society. And so as we live through the, the, the weeks to come, um, expect that people might want to know how you're handling these times, how you're dealing with these situations, how you're coping, uh, how are you managing things. Be ready to give them the answer for the hope that you have. In other words, be ready to share your testimony about God and how God is, is helping you through this time, but do it in a gentle and respectful way. Um, this is not the time to take your Bible and try to cram it down their throats and, uh, you know, grab the bullhorn and go to the square water town and start screaming at people. This is not what that's about. This is about, um, being, being sensitive to people, but sharing the good news of what God has given us and what God could give them as well. And remember this in the context of what we've been talking about for the past few weeks. You know, last week we talked about having missional love, having a love that causes, uh, produces sacrificial service towards others. Um, and before that, we talked about having missionally minded prayer when we're praying. Um, and all these things come together because you should be praying for opportunities to serve people and opportunities to share your story. And a lot of times those opportunities to share your story will open up because of something you're doing to serve others or receiving service from, from others. Um, so just wanted to give you that reminder of that, that context. <clears throat> yeah. Sorry, I got sidetracked here. I had a verse thrown up at me, and it's a, that always makes me want to to check it out. Um, oh, I pasted that pasted the mark oh, one cool. in there. If that's what okay. you're looking up, yeah, uh, yeah, that's a great passage too. That's after uh, Jesus casts out um, demons from a, a man, and the man actually wants to travel with Jesus to stay with him and to to follow with him, uh, to follow him. And Jesus says, "No, uh, stay here and." Go home to your own people, report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. Um, so he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and they were all amazed. In this case, his testimony to the people who knew him and knew where he had come from was going to be more powerful than and more beneficial to spreading the, the good news and to building the kingdom than if you were to follow along with 
<laughs> with uh, Jesus, Father Neil. <laughs> Father. <laughs> uh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So, um, so David, would you like to to close up our time in prayer, and then we can have some discussion and questions and comments and chats, and if people want to join in for video or audio in that way, we can do that. Yeah. Sounds good.